Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, welcome to the Depre Club podcast, a community of like-minded young adults who are all grieving a similar loss. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with inspirational people from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. In this podcast, our guests will tell their own grief story, discussing how their losses have impacted their lives and the past they have found themselves on. We laugh, we cry, but together we've come to realise that we are far from alone in our own grief journeys. And I know you've had a lot of people sort of on the podcast who sort of had a similar timeline in age sort of sense that when you lose a parent at that kind of brink of adulthood you're and especially you know you've just moved somewhere and you're establishing a new identity for yourself in a lot of ways at university it's kind of a clean slate it's very hard to then sort of feel like you're then I sort of defined by something that's happened to you and I think I've seen you see stuff all the time like motivational quote-unquote things I'm like don't let your experiences define you or don't be defined by bad things that have happened to you but it does define you in a lot of ways hey guys and welcome to this week's episode of the dead parent club podcast this week i interviewed finty hunter whose dad doug died during a really just pivotal time in her life when you're just really figuring out who you are in this episode, she talks about how she found comfort in writing about her grief in the form of articles and plays, including a play that she wrote and played at Edinburgh Fringe, which is pretty cool. Um, we also talk about how we feel defined by the bad experiences that happened to us and how she missed being able to tell her dad one of the biggest parts of her life and her identity that he never got to see, understand or know. So I really hope this episode is useful to just as many of you that are, are listening and I hope that the upcoming festive season isn't laying too heavy on you. Um, I look forward to catching up next week. And just a heads up, we'll be recording a Facebook Live on Saturday with a special guest that you can find out more about on my Instagram and Facebook channels. So keep an eye out. Talk to you all soon. Have a good week. Okay. Um. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this because I think we've got some like really interesting talking points, yeah. um, especially with like, you know, writing about your grief and being quite public with it in that aspect and also being part of the LGBT plus community as well, mm. which I think, you know, a lot of people are going to resonate with your situation as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be really just important to cover. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Me too. <laughs> But yeah, if you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself to the listeners. Let them know who you are, where you're from. So I'm Finty Hunter. 
I'm 22. <laughs> I always do that. Um, I'm always the same. <laughs> like, how old am I now? Um, so I'm 22. <laughs> I live down in Surrey near London and I've kind of grown up around here. Um, and my dad died when I was 18, um, not long after I started university. And mm. it was a very sort of important time in my life for who I became. Um, which I think is part of the reason why I want to come on this and kind of talk about what that was like and how I've kind of processed it and dealt with it and the ways I've done that that might be a bit different to other people in some Mm. ways Mm. yeah definitely um well yeah I suppose kind of tell us about your dad you know um your individual loss and tell us what he was like as well and what what his name was so my dad was named Doug um (laughs) <laughs> and he was dog. a bit of a he was a bit of a grumpy grumpy Scottish man um <laughs> so he he actually was a stay-at-home dad as well um for most of my life so for from when I was about seven he quit his job and stayed home and my mum worked full-time um so at home it was just me and my dad and my older brother and he would like drive us to school every day he'd cook all our meals and everything oh. so he was very much like the homemaker of the family Mm. um so I had a bit of a different kind of family dynamic to a lot of people like I grew up in a matriarchy completely. I love that <laughs> I know it's great yeah it was great um so I had a really close relationship with my dad in a lot of ways and I'm I'm the youngest of two in like my family I do have some half siblings which mm. are my dad's elder children um, okay but uh yeah it was just really me my brother um and yeah my dad was he was great. He was a brilliant cook. Um, always so willing to do anything for my brother. Like any time I'd be like, can you come pick me up Aww. at this ridiculous time from somewhere 45 <laughs> minutes away? He'd be like, yeah, all right, I'll see you there. Oh, um, bless him. So I was so he basically lucky. lived for you and your brother then. Yeah. Much. yeah. Yeah. So I was so lucky to have him. I think he definitely found it hard um, when I went to university because mm. a bit of an empty nest syndrome probably yeah the second one fledged the nest yeah. yeah what did he do what did he do with his time initially um well so that well there wasn't really a very long period that mm. it happened so I left for uni in 2016 I started in the October so my mum and dad drove me up to Cambridge you know dropped me off helped me take all the stuff up to my room and then they left and I, then there's that overwhelming moment when you start uni where you're like, oh my God, I don't know anyone. What am <laughs> no I going to do here? Yeah. And I was so lucky with the people I met at uni, but I'll, I'll talk about that more later. Um, mm. So that was the October. And then I think I came home or saw my parents a few times during my first term. So my dad came up to Cambridge a couple of times because um, he was going to York where we had a place where my mum now lives. Um, and it was kind of halfway between the two so he'd stop off and we'd have lunch or he I'd left something at home so he'd bring it up to me or whatever because he was always so generous with stuff like that yeah and um yeah I think I went home once during that term I'd gone to London for something I think for a concert with some friends and then gone back home to stay there for the weekend and see my mum and dad um so your dad passed away very quickly after mm-hmm. a cancer diagnosis didn't he yeah um and obviously like obviously I you know I know a bit of background about this before you come onto the podcast and you know I read that he was at home for like as long as possible before going mm-hmm. to the hospice and stuff and that kind of time is really difficult um when they're at home and you're kind of overwhelmed by this yeah. whole like nobody prepares you for that do you know no. um 
it's shocking the whole thing is really kind of scary but you obviously then you went back to university quite quickly didn't you after mm-hmm. your dad I went died, back so. a week after he died yeah which you know I will not say that that's not the right thing to do because I my, I actually went and did training for my part-time job I worked for Pandora part-time <laughs> um I left for two weeks about three days after my mum died I came back mm. for two days for the funeral and then back again um but I, I don't know whether you, like how was that for you going back to university like did people say anything to you about it since you went back too quickly or so I think it it was a weird one for people because a lot of people didn't know he'd even been ill because the, the timeline of it was that I never missed a day of university. So my term, mm. my first term ended and me and my friends went out to this amazing like winter ball, which we were all so excited for, being like so excited for ages. And it was that night my dad went into hospital. Wow. So I found out the next morning, came home and then went back to uni after he died. And no one really knew apart from my closest friends. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? So when I went back, all these people that I, you know, I was acquaintances with, girls in my, like, halls who I knew, but not well enough to have ever told mm. them this. They mm. were like, oh, how was your Christmas? Like, did you have a nice time? Et cetera, et cetera. What uh, did you remember... say? But the, fir- the first time it happened, I was just like, oh, yeah, it was all, it was all right, thanks. How about you? Oh, God. Because <laughs> I didn't want to just be like, oh, by the way, my dad just died. Like, mm. I didn't. I just didn't know what to say. I just totally panicked. Mm. She's like, yeah, it's fine. And then after that, I posted a Facebook post. I never used Facebook. The easiest way to just let people know, isn't it? I was like, this is so much easier than having to say it to people. It just means people will Mm. know and they'll just sort of quietly be like, okay. Mm. So I posted like a family picture, which I think was the one I sent on the like three podcasts for. Yeah, very cute. Yeah. Yeah, which is the last picture I have of like, of me and my dad and of the whole family it was oh. when we went on holiday that summer and I posted that with like a caption saying that he had died and then I got quite a lot of messages and stuff from people just being like I didn't mm-hmm. know like oh my god I think most people like didn't really comment on how quickly I went back I know people definitely thought it was too soon my like pastoral tutor at uni mm. was like maybe you should maybe you should go like maybe you should take the year out and, you know, I had friends of mine who were obviously concerned. And bear in mind, I'd only known these friends for like eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask, like, how did you cope with being around people that you didn't really necessarily know that well? I was so lucky with some like with some of them who are still some of my absolute best friends to this day. And the amount of like love and support they gave me Aww. when they didn't really have to. You know, we'd only known each other for eight weeks. It was very early on in a scale of friendship. And they were just thrown into this very intense situation. Mm. And I had, you know, really good friends from home as well, um, from school, who knew my dad. And that was always really nice to see them as well, because they knew my dad. Yeah. And I think that was the difference. My uni friends have never really met my dad. Mm. I suppose it's like your uni friends can give you that kind of like emotional support from a point of view of like being there for you, Mm. like whenever you're feeling down, whereas people that know your parent give you that kind of it's a completely different aspect of support isn't it like it's the stuff that the stuff that you need to like know that they actually did live they actually were a real person that lived 
Um, otherwise, I think it, it can be so easy to get wrapped up in this new life where they're not there anymore. But when yeah, you're it was a life that didn't know them. It was a life that was never connected to him, my university mm. life. Mm. So it was just—it's like my life kind of just split in two. And I had this life at university where I could kind of pretend that none of this had happened and every nothing had really directly changed in my day to day life at university. I still had lectures to go to and essays to write and everything. But then at home there was just this huge sense of absence and loss, which yeah. is why I didn't want to stay at home. And my parents really didn't want me to take the year out. They were very against it. They wanted me to go back. And my dad said to me before he died, he's like, you can't, you can't let this ruin, ruin your university experience. How do you feel about going back home now, even though home's not the same place as it was? Like, do you still feel that like enormous loss there? I think it is different because it's not it's not the same place mm. it's somewhere I spent a lot of time with my family we've got it's just a small flat in in York and my mum lives there now and we've had it since I was about six or seven so we spent a lot of like summers there as a family and stuff just like yeah. any time we could um so there's always that sense that he's not there and especially when we go on family trips and things like that and it's always weird things like booking a restaurant Mm. so how many is the table for mm. and, it, and now it's always three and I think that's a very like small example of this like yeah overarching sense of something missing yeah I completely resonate with that we um me and my like big like wider family have like a big family whatsapp group chat <laughs> and um somebody put on it like oh can everybody post their birthdays because there's honestly about 30 of us <laughs> and we all just like miss, miss our, each other's birthdays all the time mm. so I replied and it felt so strange even now it's been five years for me and like it felt so strange writing down just me my dad and my brothers yeah um and not my mom like I've it's just me and these like three men <laughs> and, and not like and not like the most important woman in my life it's so yeah. it's, it's moments like that they're just so odd aren't they yeah when you meet someone for the first time and they ask you the standard list of questions like Especially when you're at university, it probably gets a bit different yeah. once you graduate. But the people always ask, "Oh, you know, what do you par- what do your parents do?" I'm like, "Oh, well, my mum does this," and they're like, "Oh, what about your dad?" Oh, mm. or I just don't mention it at all, and then people think that I like don't have one, or you've got like a bad relationship with yeah. him or something. Mm. It's really difficult. I hate. I hate, but I also love those situations. I hate them because I feel uncomfortable, but I also love them because it makes them feel uncomfortable and they yeah. should know that not every single person has got both parents. Exactly. To be, to be more cautious when they ask that question. <laughs> and sometimes I answer and I, and I do go for the completely honest answer. And I did this, I was on holiday with my, my family over Christmas and we were on this cruise and one of the like um, expedition team I was like, oh, where is your dad? Because they'd noticed that me, my mum and my brother are such a tight-knit family. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, he's dead. And oh. you could see their faces just go, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, right, cool. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what answer did they want from that? Mm. It's the insane question. how it shocks people so much, though, when death is actually such a huge part of our lives, mm. like, in general. Do you know what I mean? But we're so scared of it. And we completely we feel so awkward about talking about it it's 
it's strange. Like whenever somebody tells me that, that their parents dead, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people now with their parents. Yeah. Like it's it's actually completely normal. Um, but people are still just like cringe so much when they hear it. <laughs> yeah, you can see because they they don't know what to say and they don't want to say the wrong mm. thing, which mm. I understand. But then it just gets to a situation where you just stare at each other awkwardly and no one knows <laughs> You're like, what so... to say. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously a big thing, a big part of your kind of grief journey then over the past couple of years has been how kind of vocal you've been mm-hmm. about your loss, um, whether it's writing about it um, or obviously your time in the play as well. Mm. So basically I want to hand it over to you like I'd love to know kind of what you wrote your dissertation about and um how like your time at Edinburgh Fringe and how that came about I think it's so interesting like so I've I've always like loved writing which is such a cliche thing to say (laughs) but like when I was a little kid I would write stories about my teddy bears and I think they were spies or something oh love I've always thought was quite cute um and so I've always written and when my dad was ill I did write a bit when he was ill, like some poetry, because I was quite into writing poetry at that point. And there was one particular poem which I started while he was dying, and I finished after he died. Oh. And it's a poem called I Won't See You Graduate, which is what you said to me um, in the hospital cafe when we went in for an appointment, and that's when they told us that it was a matter of weeks, not months. Mm. Um, and my, I think my mum and brother had gone to get the car, and bring it around to the front of the hospital so my dad didn't have to walk too far because he was very weak at that point and we were just sat there waiting and he just said to me like I won't see you graduate and that always stuck with me which meant my graduation day itself was a very bittersweet day which it always going to and I think yeah. everyone every big life event will always be like that when you've lost someone yeah yeah so I wrote these poems and sort of shared them um they were published in like this sort of university magazine thing um, which was really cool and I had people come up to me and like ask me about it like the, or not necessarily ask me about it but say they'd read this piece and thought it was really moving and stuff like that and I think I wrote an article for the student newspaper in Cambridge I think I wrote one maybe two about my loss um, it was also sort of my first proper publicly sharing of it in a big way mm. Again, like how, you reach how did you find writing that? Did you find do you find it easy, like it just kind of rolls out, or do you have to really kind of sit? Do you feel all the feels when you're doing it? I think it really depends. Like sometimes it becomes such a like, this is what happened, blah 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 blah, like a spiel mm. you do, yeah, like a script, yeah. But then when you get into like the actual nitty gritty of the more conceptual stuff, like actually what it meant to me at that time in my life to lose my dad Mm -hmm. it can get harder and to kind of to be able to express those things as well can be really difficult because they're such abstract feelings and they're all so tied up in so many other things that to be able to lay out on paper is both really helpful but can be really difficult yeah yeah I agree I turn to writing a lot when I'm really really struggling with Mm. my emotions like when I'm in a really kind of bad place that's where I turn to when you just kind of want to get it out but you don't but you end up kind of writing it in I don't know why it kind of comes out like a poetry style doesn't it Mm. just it's just the way that it it kind of flows out yeah Um, yeah that's interesting yeah so um when it came to like choosing what to do my dissertation on was the end of my second year and my like 
director of studies who was the guy in charge of like my degree he said to me he was like okay what do you want to do your dissertation on we need to find you someone to supervise you for it and I was like oh I didn't I hadn't even thought about it I was like I'll I'll write it on death (laughs) and he was like is that like do you have anything (laughs) more specific I was like nah so just find me someone I'm just gonna write on death nice And, and he actually you know he found me a supervisor he turned out to be really good once I'd sort of figured out what on earth I was actually going to write on. And I found these, this one particular amazing text called Knox by Anne Carson, who's a classicist. And I'd, I think mm. I'd heard of her from like criticism I'd read and stuff. Um, but I'd never read anything she'd done. And it's this, I mean, book is kind of a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a book. It's, um, it comes in a box and it's actually one long sheet of paper that you like unfold. Okay. And it's this collage as well. So there's like um, photographs and like excerpts of text messages and stuff all about her brother who died. Oh, wow. Okay. I've never heard of it. I think it's, I don't know how I found out about it. I think I just Googled books about grief. <laughs> and it was on a list somewhere. And I ended up writing my dissertation on it and a couple of other texts um about sort of how people use other media and other texts and things that have already existed to try and process this new experience for them this grief mm. that's so interesting it was it was super interesting to do yeah I think that's so cool and I think it's amazing how even though your dad had died obviously quite recently when you were at uni you mm. actually managed to find an outlet for it which I think is amazing and such a good outlet as well with like letting other people aware of like how grief can affect you yeah and I spent a lot of my kind of time at university talking about my grief and mm. dealing with it but also at the same time really struggling with how I was letting or not trying not to let my grief identify me mm. and I yeah. wrote about this in my play um which I'll talk about in a bit probably, but about how I didn't want to just be the girl whose dad died. Yeah. And I felt like that was in a lot of ways who I was because most people at uni had met me right after that had happened. Yeah, I completely get that. But I do, I'm just, bear with me now because I was listening to a podcast the other day and they said something that I was like, oh my God, that literally describes that feeling Mm. so much um because so many people that I speak to honestly feel the exact same way um and I just think in a way it's something that we kind of I think initially straight after the loss we're probably perceived as that but I think as time goes on people forget because it's not their lives Mm. um but basically this quote is um I am what I think you think I am yeah so like we think so say if somebody we thought that somebody thought that we were dumb we would also think that we're dumb because we think that they think that we're dumb do you know what I mean it's all about your own perception yeah and and then you project it onto yeah you think other people think of you and I thought that was so true because I was exactly the same as you like I remember breaking down in tears in like clubs at uni being like yeah. I don't want to be that girl whose mum died <laughs> I just think so many of us feel that way um mm. it would be interesting if we did like a little questionnaire for like everybody that we knew at uni yeah. like did you see me as the girl whose dad died 
I'm sure some of them would come back as yes, but I'm sure the vast majority <laughs> yeah. would be would be no. And I think it yeah. is especially like people and I know you've had a lot of people sort of on the podcast who sort of had a similar timeline in age sort of sense that when you lose a parent at that kind of brink of adulthood mm. you're and especially you know you've just moved somewhere and you're establishing a new identity for yourself in a lot of ways at university it's kind of a clean slate yeah it's very hard to then sort of feel like you're then I sort of defined by something that's happened to you and I think I've seen that you see stuff all the time like motivational quote-unquote things I'm like don't let your experiences define you or <laughs> but it don't does. be defined by bad things that have happened to you but it does mm-hmm. define you in a lot, a lot of ways I think especially if you take roots like you know both you and I have where you've used your experience to write about it mm. and to write plays about it and I've taken my experience to create a podcast about it where yeah. I am very much known as the girl with the dead mum because I've got the podcast <laughs> yeah. so I've basically written my own identity there um but I do think it is what you make of it isn't it mm. and um it's cool if you can own that identity and turn it into something that's educational for the people yeah. as well or helpful for the people um but yeah tell us about Edinburgh Fringe then because I mm. think that is very cool how did you get there <laughs> what did so you do I- I went to the fringe with my mum in 2018. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I'd never been before. My dad's hometown is actually Edinburgh. Nice. Um, so we went and we stayed with a friend of my mom's. Um, we saw a few things. We were only there for a few days. And I was like, this is so incredible, like the, the whole atmosphere of it. And I'd never done theatre before or anything like that. But on the train home, I was like, I want to do this. I want to write a play and I want to put it on mm. at the fringe. So I started writing this play, which was loosely based on um, my experience of going to a grief group. Nice. Which is actually how, how I found out about the podcast, because Nick, who you had on the podcast, was, do you know him yeah he was in my grief group oh no at Cambridge oh I see oh god he is a dream yeah Nick's lovely. what a lovely guy um so that's how I found out about the podcast because I follow him on Instagram wow. I think he posted about it oh I love that <laughs> connections I know everyone <laughs> with, a, with a dead parent knows each other yeah literally it's so true I could probably do like a spider diagram of everybody <laughs> it's bad, isn't it so, so I went to that group in my second year, which was a really, really great experience. Um, and then I started writing this play, which was about a group therapy situation. And obviously no one in the play was based on the people I met because 
it's not my place to tell anyone else's story, obviously. Mm. Um, but I started writing the play and it evolved a lot over sort of a few months. And in the I think November of that year, a girl I knew at university posted on Facebook saying they were doing this new writing night at the, the student theatre and she was running it and it was just like short excerpts of stuff, but she needed some new stuff. So I sent her a message and I was like, hey, I've written this thing. I've never written anything for theatre before. I don't know how to write for theatre, but I've written this thing. And if you actually do just need stuff to put on, I'm happy to, to I'll send it over and you can tell me what you think. And I was like, Ooh. no hard feelings if you don't like it. I was like, it's, it's fine. Um, and so we put on a 10 minute version of it. I think I kind of, because the play wasn't even finished at this point. And it was nowhere, like, it didn't look the same then as it did when I put it on, mm. like, properly. But doing that and sort of having, we had, like, some actors in it and um, had a director. They were all, like, freshers at the university who just wanted to get involved in theatre. And putting it on was just really exciting. Yeah, I bet. And then I I saw there was, like, an opportunity at one of the, like theatres at the uni because a lot of the colleges have their own like little theatres mm. to put they were doing a new writing season or something like that so I messaged them and I was like oh, hey I've got this play I can send it over to you I can pitch it like can I put it on next term I didn't hear anything for ages and then they got back to me on I think it's like Christmas Eve or something oh, wow. and the the slot they'd given me was like three weeks into term so I had about oh, no. I had about a month to finish the play, sure. cast it, find like a director and like crew, cast it and like get it sorted so that it was actually wow. ready to be put on. God, you really dove right in there. I know I wasn't expecting to get a slot like that early in term. I was hoping it'd be like at the end. Mm. So yeah, I was suddenly like, oh my God, I have to actually first of all finish the play and find some kind of resolution to it. Yeah because it didn't really have any shape to it at that point it was just sort of conversations between people and so I went back and got some people on board and we held auditions and cast an incredible cast actually they were all such great people and started rehearsing and from there the play changed a lot like who the characters were I kind of worked it out a bit more nice yeah and it became this like it's an hour long and it's what I think there's five, five there's five or six characters I should really know how many people are in it but I actually can't remember <laughs> um I think there's, there's I think there's five and they sort of sit in a room and they have the counsellor and it goes sort of we it's over a period of like six or seven weeks and it's just sort of small excerpts of their conversations when they're talking about issues of grief and sort of how they're dealing with it and they're all students they're all in their like late teens early 20s mm. and they're all dealing with it totally differently That's so and it's interesting. yeah and it's about how they're trying to deal with it and how like they find comfort in each other or they really conflict with each other because they disagree with how someone else is going about it which can definitely happen because mm. when you have your own sort of idea of how you're grieving and you see someone else doing it differently but like, am yeah. I doing it wrong yeah and, yeah you can get quite at least in this, not it, I didn't find that at all in my actual grief <laughs> group. There was no conflict. Um, but it was really like healing and exciting to put it on. And we put it on in Cambridge. 
and loads of my friends came to see it and my mum and brother came to see it which was amazing oh, wow. and a few like other people and then my then girlfriend her mum and grandma came to see it oh that's so nice very sweet yeah and we had really good audiences like I think we sold out pretty much in Cambridge god that's incredible I mean how amazing to turn like what was like not even a 10 minutes play to like an hour's play and about something so important as well mm. I think that's incredible yeah I had you know I had people say to me like thank you for, for writing that and especially when we got to the fringe and the fringe is hard and we had like a very hard slot to sell we were on at like eleven thirty at night wow yeah okay which and no one really wants to come see a play about death mm. <laughs> at eleven thirty. they want to go see comedy how um, did it go it was stressful and very good fun mm. and we did sell tickets um not a lot but mm. we did sell tickets I mean some is better than none right exactly and I think the most sort of the biggest takeaway for me was one night which I think we didn't have that many people in but the performance had just finished and we were like packing up the stage because there's a quick turnaround I mean the stage was just like five chairs but we were just clean clearing it all off and one of the audience members came up to me and she'd seen I was the writer I think and so this audience member came up to me and she said to me she's like thank you so much and she told me that her one of her parents had died when she was about 19 and she'd never really seen something that represented it so like much like her experience oh wow it makes everything feel worth it doesn't it yeah so that was like incredibly important to me to actually have someone say to me like it meant something to them hmm snaps to you I mean and I bet it impacted a lot more than just that one person who told you as well like for every one person who says something there's probably 10 people who haven't so that's amazing obviously you mentioned when you filled in the form to come on this podcast that you really wanted to speak about being LGBT Mm -hmm. and you know not being able to tell your parents so talk about that and kind of how you've navigated that because I can imagine it's such a huge part of your life and not have been able to tell him must have been really difficult so it is like a difficult thing I think because so I'm I'm bisexual um Mm -hmm. and I was not out when my dad died at least not at home um some of my school friends knew and a lot of my uni friends knew by that point as well so I was pretty open about it but I'd never told my family yeah and a big part of that was because my dad was quite homophobic. Wow, okay. Which, you know, it's not an excuse, but I think a lot of it was his generation. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. And so for me, looking back at like 18-year-old me is very strange because it's like he knew someone who is so different to who I am. Yeah. And people talk about this a lot when they talk about like losing a parent at a young age. It's like they never got to see you as an adult. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. <laughs> and like I definitely feel that. And I think it's another layer of it when it's something that's a big part of your life. Mm. And big part of your identity that they never got to see or understand or know. Have you like spoken to obviously your mum? Your mum knows, but like, mm-hmm. have you spoken to her about this? I might. I honestly, I don't know. I think it's probably it's been mentioned definitely, and the kind of conclusion we've always come to is he would he would have got over it. 
he was yeah. a bit homophobic but he he loved me and my brother loved you more <laughs> more than any thing like any sort of prejudice he ha- could have had mm. but it is an interesting one and it was something I'd never really heard anyone speak about and I remember in my like group I wanted to talk about it but I didn't really know how to like start that conversation and one of the other girls in the group who was this amazing young woman from America who was there on an exchange um in the UK and she had a very similar like experience to me in the fact she just started university when her dad died. Oh yeah. And she had the same thing where she'd later come out as LGBT and she was talking about that and she wrote an article about it um maybe six months, a year ago, about that whole sort of different sense of loss that comes with that and this mm-hmm. other facet of your identity that this parent never knew fully just kind of think it must be obviously it's not anything that I myself have experienced but I Mm. think it must be really hard because it is such a huge part of your identity and kind of knowing that they're not going to see that part of you must be really hard yeah and it definitely was especially like when he was ill because I had that debate with myself about do I tell him Mm. but then I decided it would feel so much worse if I told him and he had a bad reaction and I never got the chance for that to be resolved. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So I, oh, so I chose not to. It must have been such a heavy thing to carry with you. Like, I bet it was on the tip of your tongue so often. Yeah, I mean, that whole period when he was ill is sort of a blur in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it, obviously, it was just such an intense, such an intense period. It was, only, it was only four weeks yeah yeah I mean it's just no that's no time at all is it like no not whatsoever all. and that's something I think about a lot is like because I feel when people have their experience of like grief like it's quite often sort of either this like really long drawn out thing which has all its own horrible aspects mm. or it's, it's just out of the blue heart attack or something like that mm. which equally has its own absolutely horrible sort of unique experiences attached to it and no one is worse or better than the other and then I kind of just sort of fell in the middle yeah did you ever have that thing when people say to you like oh at least you knew knew I think I had both like at least you knew and at least you know he didn't suffer for too long I think I had both reactions god they're the worst aren't they it's like it doesn't make it any better like that I knew no because it's still such a shock on the day that it happens yeah. it you cannot you literally I just I was, I'm so passionate about this but like you cannot prepare yourself no for somebody's death like, like we, we knew like we completely knew it was going to happen mm. and especially my mum because she so my mum's sister had died nine months earlier wow yeah I remember of, of I think the same well the issue with my dad's cancer is they don't actually know what kind of cancer it was wow um because it was just so spread they were like we can't actually we can't work it out um and my mum's sister died of something similar in the march of that year god bless you she'd watched her sister like sort of deteriorate and I don't think she was there when it actually happened from what I remember um but like she knew that Mm. my dad was very close to death god that's so much grief to handle isn't it yeah, but it was like, especially for my mum, like a lot. 
Mm. And I think a thing was she never she never thought my dad would be the first one to die out of the two of them. Yeah. She so my mama's my mum actually has had cancer three times as well. God, that's like me and my family. My dad's, had, my dad's bloody riddled with it. <laughs> yeah. So it was always kind of the expectation that my mm. dad would outlive my mum. So she was never expecting to be left a widow, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, nobody can prepare you for that either. Like, no. I can't imagine that loss that she must feel in her life as well. And the responsibility suddenly for... I mean, obviously, she's your mum and she has so much responsibility anyway, but... I'm obviously assuming that you went to your dad for a lot of stuff because mm. you just spent that much time with him. So it's kind of, you know, your parent does have to pick up the other half, don't they? And it's a lot of pressure. I think the most noticeable thing is like weird, practical things that none of us know how to do. Mm. Like, um, I think there was something wrong with my my smoke alarms in my flat and I couldn't get, the, I had to change the batteries. I couldn't <laughs> get the cover of them to come off. It just wouldn't do it. I was like, like crying because it was just beeping at me like every 10 seconds, like a oh, day. Oh, that's so annoying. And I called my mum and she was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't fix this. Because <laughs> it was stuff like that job. that was always my dad's job. And like, mm. you suddenly have to learn how to do those things. Yeah, 100%. And when my mum moved up to the flat she now lives in, it was an absolute tip. It was like this half finished mess because my dad had been like renovating it. Oh. so she's just is left with this sort of half finished <laughs> mess of a flat <laughs> that she has to somehow sort out and the only upside was my dad was categorically refusing for her to let someone like pay someone to come and do the stairs and it now she, finally stairs got it. It. she finally got to do it because she'd done them before like put flooring on them and it was terrible and it all oh. fell apart <laughs> she finally got to actually just pay a man to do it <laughs> the line, okay. yeah exactly <laughs> Oh, but it does just completely change dynamics within families. Mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, everybody I speak to always says that. Um, it does just make such a difference, and overnight as well. Overnight, mm. you just suddenly like, wow, this isn't the same as it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and I think mm. like for me, and I'm sure for lots of other people, but I always feel like I left home for university and never mm. came back. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. Home was never home again no. after my, after my mum died because my mum died when I was in my what well, was meant to be my third year at uni. Yeah. So you know, similar like you leave with a parent, you come home and you're like oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and you're one a completely different person, but two your home life is completely different. Like everywhere you look is just not the same as it was before. No, especially, especially when like, they were ill at home as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't look at places in the same way anymore do you no completely mm. um so one of my kind of final questions is do you think that your loss has changed who you are as a person definitely I think yeah I'm not entirely sure how because so much of how I've changed because of the loss is so tied up with how I've changed and just becoming an adult mm. But it's definitely made me, I think, a lot more appreciative of my family, which not that I wasn't appreciative of them before, but yeah. the time I get to spend with them, especially because I don't live with them. And during yeah. lockdown as well, like I didn't see them. I've only seen my mum like three or four times this year because oh, God. because I couldn't, couldn't go up to see her. But yeah, it's made me a lot more appreciative. It's made me a lot... 
some there's sometimes it's hard to find the words for it it's just I, I don't want to say it's made me stronger because mm. it sounds like such a cliche and I don't think it's necessarily true but I think it's made me kind of more ready to deal with things because nothing can really be worse mm. than how I felt during that period I think it makes you aware of how resilient you are yeah that you yeah. didn't know before because that's what everybody always says like oh I, don't, I, I can't imagine ever coping with that but and it's like you'll be surprised with how resilient you are and how you have to be you have no choice but to cope yeah and that's the same thing with people saying I can't believe you went back to university how did you do that like I didn't think I had any other choice mm. well I mean my other choice was to sit at home and do nothing for a year and I thought that would be a hundred times worse yeah than to just sort of go and try and live my life as best I could mm. I mean, there is no right thing to do, is there? No, you there isn't. That's what I always say to people. You do what you do. What's laid on the table in front of you, and you just kind of pick an option, <laughs> pick yeah. a card, <laughs> and then you can look back and think, "Oh, did I do the right thing?" Mm. But it's got but, you to where you are today, and I think exactly where you are today is brilliant. You did what you did, and you did it for a reason. Mm. You made whatever choice you made at that time for a reason. Mm. And a lot, you know, even if you think you did something wrong, you probably weren't in the right headspace. To be making all the best choices. Exactly. You have to give yourself a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, my final question, if that's okay with you, mm-hmm. is what would you say to other people who experience a similar loss to you um, and about about their grief and probably a similar kind of journey to you as well? You know, um, not being able to tell your dad about being bisexual and... I'm sure there will be people listening who have been in a similar spot and haven't really spoken about it. Yeah, I mean, a big thing is like what we were talking about earlier is not being afraid to have your grief as part of your identity. Mm. Because it's always going to be there in one way or another. You can't change that. Like Your, your parent is always going to be dead. And it sucks. But it's okay to admit that and to like, not you don't have to feel ashamed of it Mm. and I think you've also got you've also got to give yourself a break you know I might look back and think oh maybe I should have when I had the chance told my dad that I was queer or bi or whatever maybe I should have done that maybe I would feel better now if I'd done that but also like I don't know that for a fact I have to Mm. give myself a break and I remember seeing this it was like some quote in a t- like some trashy TV show, which was it was nothing to do with grief, but it was about some kind of I think trauma or something. And one character says to the other, like, "Can you look back at the person you were then and like feel sympathy for who they were and what they were going through, oh, rather yeah. than just placing judgment on them?" Mm. And that was always resonated with me, like with my grief and with anything else in my life. It's like especially looking at things when you were younger, when you were a teenager and you were going through something and you might have made the wrong choice in how you dealt with it. You've got to be able to look back on who you were then and think, and give, them, give them a break, you know, give yourself a break, trust yourself and know that it will all work out and positive <laughs> things can come from the most like horrendous of situations. Yes. Yeah, I think that's such an important takeaway. And sometimes the hardest thing to 
realize when you're like in the deepest darkest bits of your grief yeah. as well um yeah. if my dad hadn't have died i would have never had the opportunity to take a place with the fringe yeah i mean that's pretty cool <laughs> and do it in his hometown as well which is a whole other sort of part of it that was so meaningful yeah walking past his school every day on our way to the venue and stuff like that i love that and i hate saying this because it's so cheesy but he'd be so proud of you for that yeah and he'd <laughs> always been sure. the biggest supporter of of my writing um, mm. always been so oh, it felt like so a nice cool. and very strange thing to do but yeah. in in like a good way yeah no that's beautiful I mean same thing with this podcast people always say to me like your mum would be so proud and I'm like yeah but it's kind of weird because it's here because she's dead yeah <laughs> so. those kind of things people say the same to me about lots of things like mm. that and it's like I mean I'm sure he would but like it also wouldn't have happened if he wasn't dead and it's very yeah. hard to marry those two things it's hard to picture your life because these things are such big parts of your life it's hard to then picture what it, it would have been like if they hadn't have died and what your version of success would have been yeah it's very hard to imagine who I would be now if he mm. hadn't have died mm. I'm so the think, same yeah because it happened at such a pivotal time in my life and everything just changed mm. so suddenly yeah. that who knows mm. who knows exactly <laughs> take what I mean, we're given yeah. life happens and it yeah. can really suck but it is it is what it is it's what it is I mean so true exactly um well Finty thank you so much for coming on this has been great having me on Um, I feel like I've been a bit rambly but you know no not at all not at all thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where our resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well. Coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started